We've been talking about finding our mission as a church. And to do that, we're going back to the early church to see what they considered to be their mission. What did they do? What did they practice? What principles can we find from the early church in the book of Acts? And from that, how can we learn what we're supposed to be about and where our focus should be? Last week, I talked to you about preaching the name of Jesus. You heard that in the scripture that Leah read to us. And then leading, there is a big change then when we get to Acts chapter 4. And, but our theme today is we're going to be looking at the name of Jesus. It was mentioned last week, but we're really going to emphasize today and have you understand that there is power in the name of Jesus. Now, the scene, if I may set it, Remember that, as Leah read, they were going into the temple, going to worship Peter and John, and they came upon a lame man, someone they had seen many times before. Maybe they really saw him for the first time. And by the power of Jesus Christ, in, in the name of Jesus Christ, they healed him so that he was no longer lame, he is walking with them. Sort of a strange scene. Luke, he was walking with them, and the Bible says he was holding on to them. But at the same time, get this, he was jumping and leaping and praising God. I don't know how he was holding on to them and walking and leaping at the same time, but that's exactly what he was doing and, and praising God. He, he must have been one of those shouting Baptists. And so he drew a crowd. They're in Solomon's porch which was a normal meeting place for the early church, and especially since it was a Jewish congregation at that time, totally Jewish congregation. So they're in the Solomon's porch of the temple, and a crowd gathers around them, and that's where we heard the sermon last week, Peter's second sermon. But then in chapter 4, there's a totally different, there's a huge change of mood. And that's where I want to begin today. And my message to you today, I'm really looking at Acts chapter 4, those first 12 verses. Jacob, like it was a play you would go to at Rebsman or, I don't know, one of the theaters here where they're putting on a play. And there are three scenes that I want you to, to see in Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. Now, Roger, those, those scenes are rather seamless. It's not like there's a sign that says scene one, scene two, scene three. But that's exactly what I'm going to do with you. I want you to see scene one, scene two, scene three. Now, there is no intermission. So don't, don't anyone leave. Three scenes, but in each scene there will be elements and themes that I want to point out to you that are very important and make this whole thing practical to us today. I believe in that we need to look at the Word of God and make it practical, make it fit our lives. Okay, so the three scenes. The first scene that I want you to notice is the church. We, sometimes we read the book of Acts, and people have called it the Acts of the Apostles. Others have said it should be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. But truthfully, it is the early history of the church and it is the church that we're talking about. And I want you to notice about this. By the way, did you ever read a book 
where the book starts and then after the prologue and the introduction, they tell information and then Charlotte, they back up and tell you what happened before that. Okay, so if you wonder why I'm starting with verse 4 of chapter 4, that's exactly what happened. Because in chapter 4, he waits till verse 4 to tell us what happened after chapter 3. And it says that many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the people, that's, it says men, but that word can be used for the whole crowd, men and women, and on Solomon. Solomon's porch, Lord, and that was a place where both men and women gathered together. And so the number of the congregation of the people came to be about 5,000 people. A couple of things I want you to notice from that. They heard the Word. Last week we talked about preach the Word. You can preach it in the congregation. You can preach it on the job. You can preach it on the bus from Dallas to Little Rock. You can preach it on an airplane. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, share the Word of God. Listen, there is power in the name of Jesus because there is power in the Word of God. He is the living Word. They heard the Word and they believed. The Bible says, Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Now, I've shortened the verse, but that's Romans 10, 17. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. They heard the Word of God and believed. Now you might say, you're talking about the church. Why, why are you saying church? Well, it's because the number of the people came to be 5,000. You see, in the book of Acts, Larry, we, we were told originally there were 120 members. They had a church role the number of the names of them being 120. And then on the day of Pentecost, it says that those that believed were added to the church. There were 3,000 who believed. They heard the word and believed. They were baptized. They were added to the church. So now you've got 3,120. Now, in Acts chapter 3, they heard the word and believed. Now I will tell you there's no record of the baptism they served that they had of the almost 2000 that were saved on that day. Jacob asked because there were other things going on that sort of, sort of overshadowed the baptism service. But I will tell you this, in the New Testament, the belief, believing the word and then following the Lord in baptism was just a natural thing to happen they would have found it very strange for somebody to get saved and not follow the Lord in baptism. It was a natural progression. And that baptism was to qualify them for membership in the church. Now, what they're saying is, there were 120 church members. Listen, that's not all the people that got saved during Jesus' ministry. It's how many were left after the crucifixion and the resurrection. But then there were 3,000 that were added. And now on this occasion, when it says the number of the men came to be about 5,000, that's a large church roll, but that's exactly what we're talking about. What's the point? Friend, your church membership is important. It's not a small matter. 
You need, if you've trusted Christ, you need to follow the Lord in baptism. If you are a Christian, if you qualify for membership because you've trusted Christ, you need to come and join the church. If it's through baptism or if it's some other way that you come to join us, do not underestimate the, the importance and the power that is involved in being a member of the Lord's church. Listen, there is power in the name of Jesus, and Jesus is in this place. This is His church, and He loves this church. And your membership is important. That's the first scene. The second scene, then, is the opposition. Now there's a radical change. We, we get the information about how people responded to, to Peter's first sermon and then to his second sermon. And the response was that many believed, but then there were some who opposed him. Now in this second scene, the, the opposition, I want you to notice several different elements of this opposition that took place. Notice, first of all, their annoyance. It, I, I, I'm sorry, every time I use that word. Uh, and that is, I think, what the, e, the ESV says. They were annoyed. There was great annoyance. Another translation says they were grieved. I like annoyance, Rachel, because one of my grandkids, at three years old, looked up and told his mom, that's annoying. <laughs> three years old, that's annoying. I don't, I'm not sure where he learned that word. I suspect it might have been from her. But they were annoyed. Okay, what, was, what does annoyed mean? Well, it was obviously displeasing, but it, that word, David, indicates a certain indignation. It's, it relates anger and displeasure, but it also relate, relates some indignation and understand that these are the priests now it says the priests and the captains of the guard and the sadducees but understand that the captains of the guard at this time and i'm not sure i knew this till i started studying this passage they were priests also but they were they were priests who were armed like ninja warriors or something i mean and it was their job to keep the peace and it's, it is said that they were stationed in the tower of Antonio, Anthony's tower. And, and so they ran out of that tower because they were grieved at what was going on. Understand that a part of that was that they were protecting their authority. You see, the, this was a political alliance. Priests were approved, and the Old Testament was different. But in the day of the early church, these priests were in alliance with the Roman governors, the rulers of the nation. And so they had a certain amount of political power. It was also a religious thing. They were given religious power. Now, all of a sudden, these Galileans are coming out. They have no training. They have no authority from the Roman government and they are not under the thumb of the scribes, the Pharisees, the priests. And so this is open rebellion. And 
because these Galileans are drawing a crowd, the priests are feeling their power being threatened. Listen, beware of power brokers. We have that in our politics, don't we? People who hold on to power. And they're not worried so much about doing what's right and following the truth or even following the laws of the land. They just want to hold on to their power. And I said this was a religious thing in that day. Even in the church, we have to be careful that we don't have power brokers in the church causing problems. I've been in that situation where you had to fight against the power brokers, those who are threatened, and and they feel they're going to lose their hold on things. Beware of power brokers because they will use you and abuse you in order to stay in power. I want you to notice not only their annoyance, but their arrest. It says that they came upon them quickly, suddenly. That's the the indication of the verse. Because, listen, they wanted to shut them down immediately. Because they were preaching in the name of Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Aaron, that's two strikes. They're preaching in the name of Jesus. And they don't like that at all because they have rejected the Messiah. They have rejected Jesus. And, and they're Sadducees. Now some of you, Jeff, have been through FBI and you've heard John Yates say again and again that they're called Sadducees because they are sad, you see, because they do not believe in the resurrection of the dead. That's, that, that's not accurate, but that's... I mean, that's not why they're called that, but it's true. They don't believe in angels. They don't believe in spirits, especially the Holy Spirit. And they don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. And now here are these people who are preaching in direct, the direct opposite, the exact opposite of their doctrine. Listen, your doctrine is important. You see, what you believe determines what you do. I think I'm ahead in my slides. But they were, they saw their power being taken away. That's why, in, notice then the third thing, their examination. By what power and by what name did you do this? And I've already said to you, beware of power brokers. They will sacrifice truth and right. See, they're asking about power. And they will use and abuse people in order to hang on to their position of power. And then, be careful about your doctrine. Because what you believe determines what you do. Don't forget that. What you believe determines what you do. I said to you last week, I'll say it again. Who you believe Jesus to be is the most important question you'll ever deal with in all your life. If you just see Jesus as a historical figure, or as a great prophet, or as a good man, that is not sufficient and you will never spend eternity with Him in heaven. You must believe that Jesus is the Son of God. You must believe that God raised Him 
from the dead in order to be saved. And you must call upon Him in faith in the name of Jesus in order to be saved. There is power in the name of Jesus. Be careful of your doctrine because if your doctrine is wrong, you can find yourself opposing Jesus and opposing the church. And listen, if you're in opposition to Jesus Christ, you better understand there is power in the name of Jesus. There is authority in the name of Jesus. If you're opposing the Lord's church, if somehow you've got in your mind that you're hoping that this church fails, you need to get right with God. Listen, Jesus loves His church. He gave His life, shed His blood for His church. And He loves Faith Baptist Church, and He loves you. He wants you to be in fellowship with Him. Be careful that the thirst for power or that wrong doctrine puts you on the wrong side. But then, scene three is Peter's sermon. Now this is his third sermon. He's not a veteran preacher by any means. But you know, I, I can't talk about this without thinking a bit about Peter and who he was and where he's been. You, you understand that this is the same Peter who promised that he would never deny the Lord, right? And yet denied Him three times, just as Jesus said. But now we see a very different Peter. He is working and he is preaching, having been filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and it says in the verse that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now there is a boldness, there is a courage, and when they arrest them and put them in keeping, by the way, that was their first night in jail. It would not be the last. Now, I, I, I got to tell you, the Jews had a real hard time keeping the disciples in jail. Well, but that's another sermon or two. There, there are a couple of occasions. They really had a hard time keeping them in jail. They were really good at putting them in jail, but not so good at keeping them in jail because of the inter intervention of God. But this is the same Peter who's now being interrogated, now being examined by the opposition. And Mike, he could have just kept quiet, right? He, he could have just did, done a disclaimer. I don't know what you're talking about. By what power and by what name? I, what do you mean? That would have been the old Peter. This is a new Peter. This is a changed Peter. This is a bold Peter who knows that there is power in the name of Jesus. Don't forget that. Never be afraid to speak the name of Jesus. Never be afraid to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is power in the name of Jesus, and there is power in the word of God. Now, in that sermon that he preaches, the, I said that there were several themes. The first theme is the name. Notice that he said, if we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, 
Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel, get this, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. That is a powerful name. The combination of Jesus, which was from Joshua, Savior. Adding to that Christ, the Anointed One. We're talking about the Messiah, the Chosen One, the Anointed One. The combination of those two names together, Jesus Christ, should have had such a powerful testimony and such an impact on the Jews that they would immediately believe Him and follow Him. By the way, I like the fact that Peter is just a little bit, I don't want to say arrogant, but he's really bold. He said, just in case you don't know who I'm talking about, I'm talking about Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And then notice, they're interrogating him. He's bringing charges against them. Whom you crucified. Whom you crucified. He's identified who he is. He is the Christ. He's the Messiah. And last week we talked about, and you killed the author of life. You killed the creator God. You killed Jesus. And instead of being, Walter, instead of being interrogated, he's turning the charges back on them. He was the Messiah. And you killed him. But that's not the end of the story, is it? Notice that whom God raised from the dead. Here it is again. He is, he is waving this under their nose. You don't believe in the resurrection from the dead, but we've got proof. By the way, we could spend a while talking about that proof of all the people who saw Jesus Christ in the flesh. And Larry, all they had to do to disprove the whole gospel is just present the body, right? Where's the body? Show us the body. They could not because it was a bodily resurrection and that dead body was walking around alive and active. He has ascended to heaven, but he is still alive and active. You crucified him, but God raised him from the dead. And there is power in the name of Jesus. Not only did he talk about the name and that Jesus is alive and active. By the way, he still is. He still is. He's alive and he is active in his churches around the world today. But he also spoke about the stone. His second theme in, act, in the third act, the third scene of the play, get tangled in my words, the third theme of, second theme of the third scene, anyway, is the stone. And, and that's a play on words too. When did you know what Peter means? It means stone, a pebble, a rock, Larry, that you can throw. Now, the thing is, when Jesus spoke to them before the crucifixion, He said, who do men say that I am? And they answered. And He said, who do you say that I am? And Peter spoke up boldly and said, you're the Christ, 
the Son of God. And Jesus said, You're Peter. You're a stone. But upon that boulder, that rock, I will build my church. He was talking about himself. Okay, so Peter already knows that he's the stone. By the way, there's so much about that that I'd like to say that that's going to be my whole sermon tonight. I'm going to go back and listen to Peter some more where he talks about the the cornerstone and that we are to be lively stones. But he's, he's saying the stone. And he said, this Jesus is the stone, the rejected stone, the builders. You see, there is in the Old Testament this picture of the builders who are building a building. And as they're selecting the stones for the foundation of the building, they, they are sorting through the stones and there's one that they cast aside and said, it's not fit to be used. But then they found no other stone that could be used and they realized this was the stone and they made it the stone of the foundation of the corner of the building. It was the corner stone. And Jesus was rejected, but God has made him the foundation, the cornerstone. And he is a sure foundation for us. Listen, if you're building your life on your education, if you're building your life and the foundation of your livelihood, of your hope, of your whole life is your occupation, if you're building your life on the foundation of riches, possessions, and wealth, you're in for destruction. There is only one thing One person upon whom you can build your life. Jesus gave the parable. I listened to it this morning. I was listening to the scripture in in Spanish. Um, And Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mountain, talked about those who built their house. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. And the rain came down. The flood rushed against, water rushed against it. And it says, great was the ruin of that house. But he said, those who hear my word and do it are like the man who built his house upon the rock. The rains came and and the floods came against it, but it stood firm. Listen, Jesus is the only sure foundation for your life. And if you build your life on His Word and the practice of doing what Jesus said, you will have a firm foundation for your life. He is our sure foundation. The final theme of that third act is the way. Acts chapter 4, verse 12, I could, I could have made this, I could have preached my whole sermon just on this one verse. There perhaps is no other verse more important in the book of Acts than Acts 4.12. It says, There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It is not politically correct 
to say that today in a public place. Because what you're saying is all other religions are useless and void. Listen, it may not be politically correct, but it's still the truth. There is only one way to be saved, and that is by repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. He is the God-ordained way. He alone is able to save you. The only way for you to be saved is to acknowledge that you're a sinner, to acknowledge that He is the Son of God, to believe that God has raised Him from the dead, and to put your life by faith in His hands. One name, the name of Jesus. Listen, there's power, power to save in the name of Jesus. No other name, no other way, one way only. Notice that it says, by which we must be saved. No, no one no other name under heaven given among men. That name and that salvation is available to all men everywhere. It's not only, Jacob, available to all men. That means it's available to every man. Sometimes we think of groups, and we need to realize there are individuals within the group. That means you. Salvation in Jesus Christ through through faith in Him, is available to all of you. But don't forget that also means it's available to every single one of you. That means you personally. And it says we must be saved. You must be saved. Okay, what's the opposite of saved? It's lost. If you have rejected Christ as Savior, there's never been a time when you have come to repent of your sins and put your faith in Christ, to put your life, your heart, your soul, your mind, to put yourself in His hands, trusting Him to take away your sin, to give you the gift of eternal life. It's given. Jesus was given as a gift to us. And Jesus offers you the gift of salvation. And if you have not done that, repented, believed, then you're lost and you must be saved. That's a good place to end a sermon. That's where Peter ended that part of his sermon. Then he called in the witness of the prophets and continued, but that's where I'm going to end my message with you this morning. You need to be saved. I said to you that in order to be saved, you must believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the only way of salvation. You must admit He is the Son of God. He is God in the flesh. You must believe that that God raised him from the dead. If you don't believe that, you're not, you cannot be saved. You cannot trust him if you don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
you must come to Him in faith, placing your faith and trust in Him. Just pray. Lord, I admit, I'm a sinner. I've done wrong. I've sinned against you. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that you've raised Him from the dead, that He is alive, and I want Him to be active in my life. Forgive me. Save me. I believe in you. Would you do that? You need to do that. You need to be saved. And that only happens if you trust in Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus.